Good morning. Will you stand with us? Let's begin our worship this morning. We're going to shout it out. Give him a big hand. Good job, guys. Way to fire off the service. How we doing? Good morning. Welcome to Kavanaugh Church. Did you know it's a great day to be on planet Earth? This is a day that God has made. We're here today 
to celebrate Jesus, to celebrate the resurrection, and then to go out and share that with others. So we have much to celebrate. This is a, a day to rejoice. So we're glad you're here. If you're joining us as a guest today, you're checking Kavanaugh out, hey, we're so glad you're here. We would like to meet you. So after the service, if you go to our lobby, you'll see a connect counter, and we've got a gift there waiting for you. And most importantly, we would like to meet you and answer questions you might have about Kavanaugh. But I'm glad that all of you are here. And we're going to have a great day together as we continue singing. And we, we want you all to use your voices to exalt Jesus today. And then we're going to hear an awesome message from God's Word. And the Holy Spirit's going to speak into our hearts. So you listen to the Holy Spirit, okay? Do what God tells you to do. Hey, let's stand up right now. We're going to go to the Lord in prayer. Then I'm going to have you guys welcome one another. And then we want you to keep singing. Let's pray. God, we love you. It is so good to be in your presence. Thank you for letting us gather in your house today. You made this day. Lord, you allowed us to come here. Thank you for the freedom we have to worship you. I pray that your Holy Spirit move freely in this service, that you speak into our hearts, that you challenge us, and help us, Lord, to be obedient to, to you, to love you, to know you, to serve you, and then to make you known. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you welcome one another today?
and this song goes perfectly with what we've been studying in our C groups. Um, it talks about telling people about Jesus. And in our C group last week, we, uh, the conversation came up that, well, what if, what if I'm trying to share my faith and somebody asks me a question and I don't know how to answer it? And we talked about the fact that you don't tell what you don't know, you tell what you do know. And you can say, um, you know, I may not have all the answers, but let me tell you what Jesus has done for me. And that's exactly what this song says. I want you to sing it with us. Let me tell you about my Jesus. Are you past the point of weary? Is your burden weighing heavy? Is it all too much to carry? Let me tell you about my Jesus. Do you feel that empty feeling? Cause shame's done all it's stealing. And you're desperate for some healing. Let me tell you about my Jesus. He makes the way where there ain't no way. Rises up from an empty grave. Ain't no sinner that he can't save. Let me tell you about
praises to you because you are a good God. Lord, we praise you for your goodness. We praise you for your faithfulness. Lord, we praise you for your grace and your mercy that you give us every single day. It's new and it's fresh. Thank you, Father, for coming into our lives and setting us free, for breaking chains, breaking addictions, helping us move from our past and into the present and one day in a future in heaven with you. God, you are so good. And we just want to glorify your name in this place today. All praise, glory, and honor to your name. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Everybody said, amen. I appreciate our uh, praise team and band. Give these guys a big hand. They do a great job. Certainly love and appreciate them. Boy, I'm glad that you're here. I'm glad that you're here. And you know what? Even, even if your favorite baseball team, the Texas Rangers, are behind in the series against the Cheaters, and, and, <laughs> and even if your favorite college team loses a game, you know what? Our God is still good. He's on the throne and everything is going to be okay, all right? I'm preaching uh, through the book of Acts. It's corresponding with our C group studies on soul winning. And we're, we're learning from the book of Acts just how bold these early believers were in sharing their faith. Last week we talked about be bold and don't fold, all right? Because the pressure came on these guys to zip their lips and keep their mouths shut but they just couldn't do it. Why? Jesus has so transformed their lives and changed their hearts and their minds, they had to tell of the good news of Jesus Christ. In the early chapters of Acts, the gospel message penetrated and saturated the entire city of Jerusalem. Acts chapter 5 verse 28 says the disciples had filled Jerusalem with the teaching about Jesus. Acts chapter 2 verse 41 reports that 3,000 souls were saved after a single sermon was preached on the day of Pentecost. Acts 2.47 says, the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Acts 4.4 states, but many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men, just of men who came to the Lord that day was 5,000. Acts 5.14 adds, and more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. People were being saved right and left. It was awesome. And the disciples just kept telling and spreading the good news. However, we see because of the persecution that was poured on these early disciples that the gospel itself spread outside the city of Jerusalem and Acts chapter 8. And then by the time we come to the end of the book of Acts, 
the gospel had spread to the ends of the world. Paul had already gone on three missionary journeys and had gone to Rome. The explosive growth of the church led to various reactions from the religious authorities. Not everybody was excited about the gospel. Those people who had a hand in putting Jesus to death did not want that message communicated. And they did everything they possibly could to shut the mouths of the disciples. We're going to see three reactions of the religious people in Acts chapter 5, and then two responses of the believers to these reactions of those religious leaders. As we see that God uses people and problems to accomplish his purpose. He did it in Acts chapter 5, and he's still doing it today. What I want to do is take you on a little journey in Acts 5. I've, I've got some verses we're going to uh, read and study in verse 33 through 42. But let me tell you what's going on before we get there. Is that okay? I mean, y'all don't have anything to do for at least 30 minutes, do you? So let, let's just look at the Word of God. You can open your Bibles if you want to. It, it tells us that, that, again, the disciples were just telling people about Jesus everywhere. They couldn't keep their mouth shut. They were, they were performing signs and miracles. Jesus had so empowered them that they were, they were raising up the lame, they were healing the blind, they were doing all kinds of miracles so that the attention would go to Jesus. It says that, that these guys, Peter was so popular that people were bringing their lame friends out on mats and laying them on the road hoping that Peter's shadow, when he walked by, would fall on them and they would be healed. I mean, some amazing things are happening here in Acts chapter 5. It tells us in verse 17, then the high priest rose up. He and all who were with him, who belonged to the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. So all the religious leaders are jealous of Peter and the other apostles and the message of Jesus Christ because Jesus was getting all the attention and not them. So what did they do? It tells us they arrested the apostles and they put them in the public jail. But an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail during the night and brought them out and said, go stand in the temple and tell the people all about this life. Hearing this, they entered the temple at daybreak and they began to teach. So the religious leaders are jealous. They just threw them in jail. Problem solved. The next day, the Sanhedrin assembled. The Sanhedrin was, was all of the Sadducees and Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, and they decided on that day they were going to nip this problem in the bud. They were going to deal with these apostles once and for all. And so when they assembled, they, they said, okay, go, go to the jail and get these characters and bring them before us. So a guard went to the jail. The guards were there. The jail was secure. But when he looked on the inside, guess what? There were no apostles. Why? Well, the angel had let them loose during the night and said, you go to the temple and, and tell the good things about Jesus. So they came back and reported to the Sanhedrin, well, the guards were at the jail. The jail was secure but no apostles were on the inside. We don't know where they are. They're in the temple, and guess what they're doing? 
They're telling people about Jesus. Well, I tell you what, that made the Sanhedrin angry. They gathered them, brought them back, and they asked them, didn't we strictly order you not to teach in this name? Look, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Well, there's the problem right there. They knew they had killed Jesus. They knew the finger was being pointed at them. They wanted to shut the mouths of the apostles. Peter and the apostles replied, we must obey God rather than people. So you can tell us until you're blue in the face not to tell of Jesus and his saving power, but we can't stop telling people about Jesus. And when it comes down to it, we're going to obey what God told us to do, not what you're telling us to do. That's pretty bold, isn't it? Be bold and don't fold, yeah? Well, it aggravated the snot out of them. I don't know if I can use that. That's a West Texas phrase. It made them mad. And so here we come to verse 33 of Acts 5. That's our passage for today. When they heard this, that is when the Sanhedrin heard this, they were enraged and they wanted to do what to them? Kill them. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law who was respected by all of the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered the men, that is the apostles, to be taken out for a little while. And he said to them, that is the Sanhedrin, men of Israel, be careful about what you are about to do to these men. Some time ago, Thutis rose up claiming to be somebody, and a group of about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, and all of his followers were dispersed and came to nothing. After this man, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and attracted a following. He also perished, and all of his, all of his followers were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, stay away from these men and leave them alone. For if this plan or this work is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is of God, you're not going to be able to overthrow them. You may even be found fighting against God. They were persuaded by him. After they called in the apostles and had them flogged, they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and release them. Then they went out from the presence of the Sanhedrin, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to be treated shamefully on behalf of the name. Every day in the temple and in various homes, they continued teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Thank you for your word, dear Lord. I pray that you would speak it into our hearts. And as I speak on the outside, would you speak on the inside? We ask this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. After Peter declared the apostles' commitment to obey God rather than men, he laid the responsibility of the death of Jesus Christ at the Sanhedrin's feet while challenging them to repent. So the ball is in their court. He said, you guys killed Jesus. You need to repent of that. 
We're, we're going to see their reactions, okay? We're going to see the way they reacted. First of all, they reacted in a hateful kind of way. <laughs> Verse 33, when they heard this, they were enraged and they wanted to kill them. The word enraged is a very colorful word in the Greek text. It means to cut asunder with a saw. So these leaders were ripped apart as if someone had taken a sword through their hearts. And instead of being convicted, they were committed to kill these apostles. That word kill means to slay or to execute. And so upon hearing all of this, the message of Jesus, that they were to blame for the crucifixion of Christ and that they needed to repent, instead of allowing the Holy Spirit to convict them, instead of being sorry for their sins, instead of repenting, they wanted to kill these guys. They wanted to shut their mouths. They were being, here's the word, hateful. I've got to stop right there and, 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 and remind you that not everybody you share the ABC plan of salvation with is going to be eager to hear that. Not everybody wants to be told they're living in sin. <laughs> not, not everyone wants to repent of their sins. And you know what? Some people may respond in a hateful way to you. But you know what? When they do, you just kind of dust the, the, the dust off your feet, and you just kind of go on, and you keep sharing Jesus. You've got to be bold and not fold in times of persecution. The second reaction is surprisingly helpful. Not only was the first hateful, the second was helpful. Look at verse 34. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put these men outside just for a little while. So the majority of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish Supreme Court, was made up of Sadducees. There were really three different groups of religious leaders. The Pharisees and the Sadducees were the two largest groups, and the majority of the Sanhedrin were made up of Sadducees. There were a few Pharisees on the council, and among the minority party was this man named Gamaliel. Josephus, who was a first century Jewish historian, wrote that the Sadducees would often give in to the demands of the Pharisees. Why? Because the Pharisees were more popular with the people than the Sadducees were. And this man named Gamaliel was a member of the Pharisees, also a member of the Sanhedrin. We find out from Jewish history that for 32 years he became the president, or could we say speaker of the house, <laughs> for the Sanhedrin. He was a Bible scholar. And this verse tells us he was held in high honor, which means that he was highly esteemed and treasured by everyone. In the Mishnah, which is the commentary on the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, we read these words. When Gamaliel died, the glory of the Torah ceased, and purity and sanctity died also. So he was revered. He was a great man among the people of his day. He was the best Bible scholar that they had. In fact, we read in Acts chapter 22, verse 3, that Paul, early in his life and ministry, came under the tutelage of Gamaliel. He was a student of this great teacher. You know, God has always used people 
and problems to accomplish his purposes. Sometimes God can take a crooked stick and use it to accomplish his will. For Joseph, he used Pharaoh. With Daniel, he used King Nebuchadnezzar. God one day even used a donkey to speak the truth of his word. And here he uses Gamaliel to deliver the apostles from almost certain execution. They wanted to kill these men. But Gamaliel spoke up. He stood up with a commanding voice. And he ordered the apostles to be taken out of the room just for a little while so they could talk candidly amongst themselves. And in verse 35, he gives them a warning. He says, men of Israel, take care what you're about to do with these men. The word take care has the idea of pay attention, give heed to what you're doing. In essence, he was saying, hold on, guys. Hang on here a minute. Hold your jets. I know you're mad. I know you're angry. I know you hate these guys and you want to kill them. But let's think this through. Aren't you glad that sometimes around us there are people of reason? (laughs) Who who can pull us back off off the ledge and, and speak wisdom into our lives? Then what he does is illustrate his warning by giving two historical examples of men who led in revolt, started strong only to flame out. The first is found in verse 36. For behold, these days, before these days, Thutis rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed, and they came to nothing. So he gives these illustrations of, of these guys who, who led a revolt. This first one was, was a guy named Thutis. He, he boasted of being a great guy, and I don't know, maybe he was. He was so popular that 400 men followed him. But after he died, they dispersed. That word disperse means to break up and to go into pieces. It, it reminds me of the Branch Davidians and What happened to them down in Waco after David Koresh was off the scenes? Those Davidians just dispersed and disappeared. And that's what Gamaliel is saying. Here was a guy named Thutis. He was powerful. He was was a motivator. He had 400 people following him. But when he died, they, they just dispersed and they flamed out. The second leader described is in verse 37. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. Now this is obviously a different Judas than the one mentioned in the Gospels. This guy complained and revolted against a census. Why? Because it meant more taxes. And he didn't want to pay taxes, and apparently a lot of other people didn't want to pay taxes, so they, they got behind Judas and they followed him. He, he had a host of followers, but you know what? After he died, they all scattered as well. And after making the point that these famous guys and their followers fizzled out, Gamaliel argues in verse 38 that the apostles and their message will eventually evaporate as well. So in this present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, 
it will fail. That little phrase, keep away, is the idea of keeping their hands off, to, to stand down. Since both of these uprisings failed on their own, he's suggesting they just leave these apostles alone and see if this thing doesn't implode on them. The word for fail is used of a collapse of a building or the unraveling of clothing. And he is suggesting that, you know what, just, just give it a little bit of time. If, if, this, if this is just of man, if this is just about Peter and John and these other apostles, it's going to fizzle out too. And we won't have to dirty our hands in killing them. Church, let me remind you that sometimes things that are wrong or even evil seem to be successful for years and decades and even centuries. And, and, and it makes our heads spin, spin around. And, and we've got to wonder, why, why does a God, why does a God who is of, of reason and purpose allow things like this to go on? You need to understand that God operates under and within the sweet sovereignty of his own presence. And, and God, God is awake. God is paying attention. God does know what's going on. And sooner or later, God is going to take care of it. Check out Psalm 33:10. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the people. And you've got to understand that throughout the centuries, people have declared God to be dead. They've even tried to ban the Bible to no avail. The French author and atheist Voltaire, who lived in the 1700s, reportedly held up a Bible in the air and smugly declared, in 100 years, this book will be forgotten and eliminated. Shortly after his death, his own house became the headquarters for the Geneva Bible Society, which distributed millions of Bibles, which he had assigned to extinction. God is not asleep. God hears their threats. God knows what's going on. And eventually he's going to take care of it. The, the main point of Gamaliel's argument is found in verse 39. But if this is of God, then you know what? You're not going to be able to stop it. You're not going to be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. And that phrase, opposing God, literally means you might be known as a God fighter. Here's a couple of passages which emphasize the fact that, you know what, God always wins. Proverbs 21.30, no wisdom, no understanding, no counsel can avail against the Lord. Isaiah 46.10, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purposes. So not wanting to be known as a God fighter, the end of verse 39 tells us that they took his advice. <laughs> Cooler minds prevailed. God uses people and problems to accomplish his purposes. What, what were the, the response of these Pharisees? Well, it was hateful. Gamaliel was helpful. But number three, harmful. The third reaction is shockingly harmful. Look at verse 40. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. 
The word for called is the word summonsed. It's a legal term. They called them in. They summonsed them in to pronounce a verdict on them. And what they do, they beat them. They flogged them. That word means to scourge, to flay and strip the skin off. This is the first inclination we have in the book of Acts of severe physical persecution given to believers in Jesus. Each one of these apostles, don't know how many there were standing there, but each one of them was flogged 39 times with a whip that had rocks attached to the end of it, causing the skin on their backs to be shredded. The background of flogging first appeared in Deuteronomy 25.3. Forty stripes may be given him, but none more, lest if one should go on to beat him with more stripes than these, your brother be degraded in your sight. So instead of giving 40, they always stopped at 39 because they didn't want to miscount and therefore mistreat the person they were beating. I've referred to the Mishnah. It's a running commentary on the Old Testament. It describes scourging in detail. It, it tells us the accused would have their hands strapped to two posts. Their shirt would be removed. The man who had the whip with the rocks attached to the end of it would stand on a rock platform Therefore, he was above those he was about to whip. And he was commanded to whip with all of his might. One-third of the stripes was to be delivered to the person's chest. Two-thirds of the stripes were to be on his back. And one by one, these apostles were lined up. They had to watch and listen to their partner scream in excruciating pain. Each one of them would have been beaten within inches of their own lives. Jesus predicted this would happen. I mean, Jesus had already told these apostles, this is going to happen to you. Matthew chapter 10, verse 17, he said, beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and they will flog you in their synagogues. Jesus said it. Now it's happening. According to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24, the apostle Paul himself had experienced this on more than one occasion. Paul said, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes, lest one. So he said, five times I was beaten with 39 lashes. They were trying to harm these guys. That was the reaction to the good guys, okay, from the good guys. This was the reaction of the Old Testament church, the Sanhedrin, the religious officials. They hated Jesus, so they crucified him. Now the apostles were preaching Jesus. They didn't like it because it pointed the finger back to them. They commanded, no more are you to speak this name of Jesus. The disciples were bold. They didn't fold. They kept teaching and preaching in the name of Jesus. So they were hated. And they were harmed. Beaten. 39 times. 
I don't know, it just, it just made me stop and think this past week. When, when was the last time somebody took a whip with rocks attached to the end of it and lashed your back 39 times? Well, the, the only thing that I could remember that was faintly connected with that was when I was a little kid and my mama <laughs> took the belt after me. You know what, that can't even begin to compare. When was the last time you were hated for telling people how they could be saved? When was the last time somebody wanted to kill you because you so cared for that person that you did not want them to go to hell and told them about heaven? That's what's happening. And we see two remarkable and unexpected responses from the apostles. Check out the first part of verse 41. Then they left the presence of the council. After they were beaten 39 times, they left the presence of the council. The verb left has the idea of leaving to go on a mission. And we're going to read in the next couple of verses what they had on their face. They had a smile on their face. That They had a steadiness in their feet. These were men on a mission, and no mistreatment was going to deter them from doing what God called them to do. So let me just share with you in closing their response, two of them. Number one, they were glowing with joy. The first part of their mission was to glow with joy. We see it in verse 41. They left rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus. Now, guys, let me tell you, this is counterintuitive, is it not? After getting beaten, they burst into joy. And the tense of rejoicing indicates they were continually rejoicing. The apostles were simply being obedient to what Jesus had commanded them to do. Remember in Luke chapter 6, Jesus said this, Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets. How in the world could they do this? They knew that the religious authorities hated them. They wanted to harm them. They did harm them. They beat them within an inch of their life. And so how in the world could they walk out of there with a smile on their face and joy in their heart? Well, what they remembered was this. They remembered a day when Jesus told them, hey guys, let me tell you something. If the world hates you, understand they hated me first. And if the world mistreats you, don't feel about, bad about it because they mistreated me first. And if they did that to me, they're going to do it to you as well. Guys, we've got to keep our focus. We, we need to realize that, you know what? This world is not our home. And it really doesn't matter too much what the world thinks about you. What matters is what God thinks about you. And even if they hate you, and even if they want to kill you, and even if they don't want to listen to you, we still are under obligation to love them, to care for them, and to share with them the good news of the gospel. 
Therefore, these guys were glowing with joy. Their response? Go with the gospel. Not only did they glow with joy, even when their circumstances were difficult, in verse 42, they also defied clear orders not to speak in the name of Jesus. Again, before they were released, the the Sanhedrin told them, no more are you to speak in the name of Jesus in Jerusalem. But here's what it says in 42, and every day, (laughs) and every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. You couldn't stop them. You couldn't shut them up. Every day, that phrase every day means daily. It also means all day long. They were teaching. That means they were explaining the word, preaching. They were evangelizing and telling people how they could be saved. They were going with the gospel, taking it to the streets. I don't know if you all know the name D.L. Moody. He was pastor of the Moody Church in Chicago. Great, great commentator, great preacher, great man of God. He made a covenant with God early on in his ministry that he would witness to at least one person a day, every day. That is, every day he would enter into a gospel conversation with somebody. Every day he would tell somebody about Jesus. I'm going to let that sink in. Could you imagine making that commitment yourself that every day, no matter what happened during that day, you were going to find somebody and tell them about Jesus? One day he was very busy, came to the end of the day, late in the evening, he was getting dressed to go to bed and remembered he had not told anybody about Jesus that day. And so instead of just going to bed and forget about him and saying, oh, I'll tell two people tomorrow, (laughs) he got dressed again and walked out on the city streets of Chicago. It was wintertime, snowing, cold. When he stepped out on the street and the snow hit him in the face, he saw a man standing on the corner next to a lamppost. And so he went over to the man and he said, are you a Christian? (laughs) to which this man flew into a violent rage, cussed him out, and threatened to knock Moody into the gutter. (laughs) He didn't receive it very well. Come to find out that next week, this same man went to the elders of Moody's church and complained against their preacher. He said, your preacher is doing more harm in Chicago than he is doing good. You need to shut him up. One of the elders went to Moody and said, you know, pastor, you might need to kind of, you know, chill out a little bit. Moody said, no way. (laughs) Be bold and don't fold. Three months later, again, middle of the night, he heard a knock on the door. He opened the door and it was that man, that same man that threatened to knock him in the gutter. He said, I need to talk to you about my soul, preacher. And so he came in the house and Moody shared with him the good news of the gospel. The man apologized for the way he had treated Moody, said that he had had no peace of heart for three months since that night on Lake Street when Moody had witnessed to him. So after sharing the good news of the gospel, guess what? This guy gets saved and becomes a hard worker in Moody's church. He even taught Sunday school. Why? Because this one man made a commitment 
Every day, I'm going to have a gospel conversation with somebody. Every day, I'm going to tell somebody about Jesus. You know, Moody didn't just come up with that on his own. He had read Acts chapter 5. That's what the early apostles were doing. Every single day, they taught and they preached Jesus. They did it in public spaces like the temple. They also spread the good news house to house, family to family, person by person. And this became their practice. They did it throughout the entire book of Acts. And because of that, the church was born. It exploded with growth. And we are called to keep doing the same thing. So how are you doing at going with the gospel? How are you doing in sharing the truth of Jesus Christ? I I don't know. would Would you consider this morning making a commitment to the Lord. Maybe just coming down to the altar and and kneeling here and say, Lord, thank you so much for saving me. Thank you for for giving me boldness to share your word with others. Thank you, dear Lord, for, for the five people you've put on my heart to be praying for that they be saved and get in church. And Lord, I'm asking right now that you help me to have a gospel conversation with somebody every day. Would you consider coming to the altar and making that commitment? Lord, Lord, help me every day to talk to somebody about you. Help me every day to bring up you with somebody else. Help me to witness to somebody every day. I think that's quite a challenge. Don't you? I've accepted that challenge. I'd like to tell you everything's been great and I've done it every day, but I can't. There's been times I've slipped. There's been times I've forgotten. There's been times I've just been, I've just been too beat up by the world to want to tell anybody about Jesus. But it doesn't get me out from under that responsibility. Remember, remember when we started this whole series? If the world is going to know it's because you tell them. If your friend, family member, neighbor, co-worker gets saved, it's because you open your mouth and share with them the gospel. We're learning how to do that in our C groups. We're learning how to be soul winners. And you know what? It, it, doesn't, it, t- it doesn't really take a brilliant person to do it. You, you don't have to be a, a scholar like Gamaliel. You just have to have your story. Open your mouth and say, can I tell you about my Jesus? And tell what Jesus has done for you. Church, I'm calling on you to make that commitment today that you're going to have a gospel conversation with somebody every day. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never been saved. You can't think of a time when you committed your life to Jesus. And if I were to ask you the question, do you know that you would go to heaven when you die? You couldn't answer that question. If that's your case today, right now the Holy Spirit is talking to you. He's convicting you. You're going to have one of two responses. You're either going to say, no, don't want to have anything to do with it, and walk out of here without Jesus, or you're going to say, yes, I want Jesus in my life. Yes, 
I want to go to heaven when I die. If that's the case, would you come this morning and allow us the privilege of leading you to the Lord Jesus Christ in a personal relationship with him? In our C groups, we've been praying for five people that God has placed on our heart that are either lost without Christ or out of church. You've got five people you know like that. Why don't you use this time this morning interceding, praying for them, and asking God to give you an opportunity to have a gospel conversation with them. Heavenly Father, would you do that right now in our lives and in this house? Lord, for the person in this room who needs to be saved, I pray that they would come and receive the gift of salvation. Lord, for those of us who are believers, may we come this morning and and recommit our life to you and say, Lord, help us to have that gospel conversation with somebody every day. And dear Lord, make that commitment and then live by it. For others in this room who just need a touch from your hand, I pray that they would come and receive that today. For those who need healing, guidance, reconciliation, as they come and pray, Lord, just pour your Holy Spirit on their life and fill them. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask that you stand with heads bowed and eyes closed. Praise team is going to sing. These altars are open. Would you come right now and make your commitment to Jesus? As they sing, you come. I was lost. I was in chains. World had a hold of me. My heart was a stone. I was covered in shame. When he came for me, I couldn't run. Jesus, thank you for loving us. Thank you for being for us. Lord, it's so good to be on your team, the winning team. And I pray, dear Lord, that we would take serious this lesson from Acts chapter 5 
I pray, dear Lord, that no matter how the world or the devil reacts to us telling people about Jesus, that we would just be bold and not fold, that we would have joy in our hearts and on our face, that we would go with the gospel and tell people about you. Lord, help us to make that commitment that every day we're going to have a gospel conversation with someone. With Every day we're going to tell somebody about Jesus. Every day we're going to invite somebody to church. Help us to do that, Lord, and be faithful in doing it. And I pray the result would be that the kingdom of God would grow and that Kavanaugh would become a greater church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated just for a moment. I've got some reminders I want to share with you. And and every time I make announcements, share reminders, I'm reminded of a preacher friend of mine who got fired from a church one Sunday. The church fired him. And he asked him, well, why, why did you fire me? And here was their response. Your announcements are not spiritual enough. So that's always bum-fuzzled me. How do you make announcements spiritual? If you've got it figured out, let me know. When you walk out the door, make sure you give your offering to the Lord and put it in one of those black boxes. C groups, this is week number four. So make sure you're in your C group this week. We're going to study an amazing passage of Scripture from Acts chapter 8. Philip in the Ethiopian eunuch. It's a great story. We worship sign-ups are going on right now. Uh, We need volunteers to help take care of your precious kids and grandkids through the year of 2024. And so out in the lobby on the iPad, you can sign up to be a volunteer for We Worship. Wednesday, November the 1st. So it's not this Wednesday, but next Wednesday. We're going to take the gospel to the streets, literally to the asphalt, all right? We're going to have a trunk or treat on Wednesday night from 7 to 8. So look at me, listen to me. No Wednesday night church in here. We're going to meet out there in the parking lot. Brother Johnny is asking for 31 volunteers, 31 vehicles to have your trunks full of candy so that neighborhood kids can come by and receive a treat and we can share with them what? The good news of the gospel. What a great time to have your ABC pins out there and share with people how to go to heaven, all right? So that's Wednesday, November 1st. This Saturday, men's prayer breakfast, 7.30 a.m., going to have a great meal and also a devotion. The Way to Recovery, this is a class that meets weekly, has changed their meeting time to Friday at 6 o'clock, and it's uh, it, in Compass Health is where it's going to be meeting at. So see these guys after service, David and Don and, and beautiful Brittany, and they can tell you all about it, all right? I hope you have a great day. And you know what? If, if, if you are spiritually minded, here's my spiritual announcement. If you're spiritually minded, pray for the Texas Rangers. We really need a win tonight <laughs> against that other team from Texas that has a habit of cheating, all right? God bless you. Have a great day.